Hey, this is Eric Oldman. You're listening to The Rockin' Chicago Show. In each episode, I connect with musicians, artists, and industry people who are involved with Chicago's underground and independent music scene. The show is really a conversation about our creative processes, our hopes, our dreams, and experiences recovering as we all navigate through the challenges brought on by the pandemic and moving forward to a new day where we can create and perform music in and around our fair city. Our guest for this episode is vocalist Teron De Pablos. Teron has been around our music scene for a bit. Um, has performed in a myriad of different hard rock and heavy metal um, projects throughout the years, uh, both original and tribute oriented. He is the vocalist for Made in Chicago, uh, the Iron Maiden tribute band here uh, in our area, and also for Black Angus, the ACDC tribute band. And uh, when he's not doing shows with them, he is working with his uh, progressive power metal band, Fierce Atmospheres. Fierce Atmospheres is actually dropping a brand new album this week, The Speed of Dreams, on Qumran Records. The album was produced by uh, famed guitarist and producer Andy LaRoque. Uh, as some of you metalheads know, he was the guitar player for King Diamond, and he's done quite a bit of production work. He's also worked with such luminaries in the metal scene as Death. Um, so this is some exciting news. Um, and we're going to spend tonight talking about the album, the lineup, um, how uh, they're doing with all that, and uh, we're going to be previewing a bunch of their music. So we're going to kick things off with the first track. This is From Ashes on Speed of Dreams by Fierce Atmospheres. <laughs> Thank you. 
So before we get into our interview with Tehran tonight and uh, premiering some more music from this uh, new release from Fierce Atmospheres, we'll just talk about a quick overview and history of the band. Uh, they've been around uh, since 2002, originally formed in Austin, Texas, but uh, they've been active out of Chicago for the last eight years. The main person in the band is the guitarist and songwriter Eric J. Gosselin. Um, and unfortunately, Eric couldn't be with us tonight for the interview. Um, so we'll be talking about Tehran, about uh, all this great music that they're working on. And uh, they've had a number of releases, uh, a few different demos through the years, a couple of EPs, one in 2012, where Night and Day Begin, then Forsaken in 2015, and then finally their LP, Pariahs, Misfits, and Sinners in 2018. And that's kind of where our story with Tehran picks up. And um, let's fast forward to the present, actually just talk about this track uh, from Ashes. So, Tehran, if you can kind of give us your take on sort of the writing process and background of this. Let's kick things off uh, and talk about this track we just listened to um, from Ashes. Uh, give us a little background on it. That song, Eric wrote it for, uh, with John, with the drummer, and with the help of uh, Brent Sullivan, who was playing bass at the time, right? Uh, for uh, for a Pro Power compilation, and and I wrote it in my house, and I didn't do uh, I did it, I wrote it from my house. I didn't do any pre production on it, right. so I just we had a deadline for it to make the compilation. You just had to cut your vocals and exactly. Be done. So I went to okay. his studio and I sang it, and it turned out that the chorus was too fucking high to sing. Can I swear on this? Yeah, you can. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So. You get there and, uh, oh, crap, I cannot sing this thing I wrote. Yeah. Well, it's so good. You have to. So I just uh, ruined my voice a little. And then I, with practice after, now I can sing it more can, comfortably. Know, right. But, yeah, that's uh, and that was one that we redid. Uh, it's got three solos there. One, The first solo, it opens the album, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, the first solo is a bass solo, which is kind of cool. And then everybody has a solo there. And we did a video with Wayne Joyner for it, uh, a lyric video. Uh, and where Wayne Joyner has worked with people like uh, Dream Theater, right? And uh, uh, LA Guns, you know, lots of people. Another one that that we met that got cut us a good deal because Eric was insistent and approached the guy, right? You know, you gotta admire the persistence in that. What was um, kind of the approach with making this new album um, that you know you guys kind of set out to do? Well. Uh, the previous album was a little bit eclectic because it has different musicians right. and we were using different studios whenever they would give us a couple of free hours we okay. would go do there right. so and uh, and uh, most of the songs were written before I joined the band five years ago okay and I just went in there and rearranged parts and wrote melodies okay. mostly to what was written I didn't do a, a lot of that but this time we had a unit. We had five guys. Oh, so fully yeah. a full yeah. new lineup then, right? Yeah. Right. So we had been together for a, for a bit uh, with COVID and such. Well, we didn't do a lot of shows, but it was the same five guys. But mostly it's uh, it's uh, Eric uh, writing the parts and working them out with the drummer. Okay. And then I come in and I tell him this is too long, this is too short. And when we we bump heads a little bit and right. Right, uh, right. we figure it out. Uh, but the thing is that we also grabbed some songs that were written in demo form over these 20 years that you mentioned. Okay. And uh, so there were some maybe seven new pieces and some others that, that were 
workable. There were some songs that, that hadn't been released or that had been released but too long ago. And he wanted for me to give him a shot. And uh, so we picked, I think there's three songs that are rewritten from the original form. Then there's two songs that we wrote as a unit, but to be released in, uh, in separate years uh, in the Proc Power USA compilation. And then there was another, I want to say, three songs, three or four, that were brand new and that just we worked on like that. He, we worked on the parts with the drummer, sent everybody the files, and uh, we worked on our... And, as and as you guys did all this stuff remotely during kind of the well, things were locked down uh, last year. And the the writing, but then I right. would go into Eric's home studio. It's called Edge of Satellites, out of his home. Okay, uh, but it's uh, kind of big for a home studio. Uh, and uh, and we did pre-production there. We recorded everything there, and then we decided this sounds this is too long, this is too short, this is. So we did a few cuts there. And uh, and then we recorded it for good, and then we send it out to Anila Rock for mixing. And yeah, mastering. how did you guys get hooked up with him? Because that's that's legend. That's that's I know, the right? big stuff, right? The, the I, big I've never met him. Eric Eric has met him. Okay. And uh, right. while he was while we were shopping around the other albums, see if we could get a label. We ended up getting a label, but they said no for the next one, not for this one. Right. <laughs> Uh, he was he was just passing it around and uh, and he approached Anela Rock to see if he would like it yeah. and uh, he would be interested in working with us and he listened to it and he dug it and he said yeah I'll produce it and then when we figure out how much that was gonna cost maybe we record it and you mix it and uh, <laughs> right right yeah so that's how that's how it went but he actually met him when they played here at the Vic last okay. time King Diamond yeah right he was eating dinner with the band and that's okay. where they kind of sealed the deal. Oh, cool! There. And uh, but it's 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 it it took uh, a few months. I would go one day do one song. So we had all the time in the world with COVID, right? Oh, absolutely right. Yeah. So I would go instead of my usual one hour, two hours to record the song. We spent four or five do retakes. Get it and, right, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then we would send it to him back and forth, and he would edit some things, and we would like some things, and some we didn't. And uh, we gave him a lot of options. Like, we send him, like, a lot of guitar tracks. So you do a lot of different things up front as opposed to him saying, no, do this again. Because, I mean, I don't want his time is money. And then plus yeah. he's overseas, too, right? So Yeah. Right. So so we pretty much cut the song. We, right. de- we decided what the songs were going to sound like and the parts. Right, right. So he just did, the, he just did all the heavy mixing, okay. all the cleaning in the mob, bringing the sound up, running them through all the good stuff so they sound warmer and, uh, right. and heavier and thicker and stuff. And then he did the mastering after that. But it was, yeah, we, we, he sent, as far as mixing, I think we went back and forth like four or five times. Okay. And with mastering uh, two or three maybe. We would run out of uh, budget, <laughs> and that was it. You have to get to a point where you just have to say, "This is good," yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, it was pretty good. It yeah. was just between really, really good and excellent, and we have money to reach for excellence, right? <laughs> yeah, you do the best you can with your means, right? It, it sounds great. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So. Yeah, I was kind of blown away. Um, one track you sent me, I think it was the From Ashes one yeah. uh, first, and I, I really was enjoying that, and. Um, yeah, the, the definitely. You you could tell there's a, just a little cut up in terms of going for that and having somebody with that kind of experience and also that much familiarity, kind of like with your genre and sound, 
really to put that nice polish on it so it does sound quite good. Yeah, um, it, he definitely brought uh, the extra 10% I, yeah, and the oh, sound for sure. that we didn't have it in the other album. De right. Definitely. And yeah, and I think that's just something that, you know, comes from experience. You know, somebody at that level yeah. really just kind of gets it, you know, so. And we also pushed ourselves because uh, right. we're like, oh, well, this guy, he's legendary and stuff and he's going to mix our music. You want to look good. We, we may want to <laughs> do our best. Is this is this part that we just wrote Andy LaRock good or is it just right. good, you know? Right. So, yeah. It really made you guys kind of evaluate everything then. and Yeah, a little bit more, yeah. Put but, your best stuff forward. Plus, we weren't rushing anything. We were just... Right. We had so much Get time right. in yeah. isolation that... that yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't like, uh, like I said before that in the previous album where we wrote the parts and, Hey, uh, we have two hours at Tribeca flashpoint, uh, go record some vocals. So yeah. I would go and however they came out, that was it, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things too, like with this, it's the, the, the cohesiveness, you know, yeah. um, you guys are a unit plus you had all the time to really kind of put the polish on things as you were tracking and recording stuff. And um, sounds like it was all you, you did it all in one sort of. Yeah. You didn't change any of your variables with like, are oh, we going to go try this studio or that studio? You kind of walked into this, putting this together. You kind of knew a little bit more what you wanted to do with it. So. Yeah, and, and it shows. Yeah, and it, it, it is also, and you cannot underestimate that too. Is the the owners the ownership fact? Yeah, factor. You're fully vested now. Everybody, you know, right, everybody the other album piece. is it was Eric and I in every song. Right. And uh, right. I, but then there was two drummers and right. two bass players and. Four different guitar players. So that when when you're not that invested right. in the project, oh, I'm going to record two tracks, you know. So it's not your your right. It, you're you're just getting it done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they did a great job, but you right. could. It's not you don't put the extra blood, sweat, and tears in there, you know. Right. So how long ago um, was the stuff written before you sent it off to for the production work or for like the final tracking and all that was it all done before the pandemic or did you guys continue to write during that time most of the writing was during the pandemic uh, before the pandemic sorry like i said there were two songs that were pretty much finished but we just eliminated some parts for example from ashes the original version has a vocal breakdown in the middle now it has a solo uh little things like that uh in in that one and easy to fall and uh, the rest, uh, like the older songs, where it was just a matter of restructuring it and working them as a unit. And the newer ones, we had a, yeah, we we worked it closer to the date because he uh, Andy told us uh, about uh, uh, I'm gonna have to a window of two weeks to work on your stuff. I think it was right April, uh, something like that. So we had to finish by then. Right, right. So the last, the last few songs we finished around the time that we had to send them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good way to kind of just get it done, too. You have, you have to yeah. kind of work out his schedule as well since he's getting back out there with the king and all that. And, yeah. Right. I mean, deadlines are not a very rock and roll word, but no, they, but they that's help. The, <laughs> that's the, the business meeting the yeah. art, right? Yeah, it, you know, uh, the getting getting it ready so somebody over overseas can pick it up and start working with it on their schedule. Exactly. Um, the next track we're going to listen to is "Easy to Fall," and uh, Teron, give us a little bit of background before we kick this one off. "Easy to Fall" is the what you would call the ballad, but it's not quite a ballad. Um, uh, they, 
they were practicing and they uh and uh, uh i think it was about maybe time when they reissued with judas priest reissued um defenders of the faith yeah and eric was um uh, when the night comes down got stuck in his head and he wrote that inspired by that judas priest song and then i wrote the melody over that and we like we really dug the chorus in it and uh, and again we did a second version of it for the album the original version had a is that a, like a breakdown or a vocal? Yeah, I had something that we ended up uh, cutting because it was it felt too, the solo felt too long for the type of song, and mm. so we cut it a little and uh, we re- re-recorded everything uh, after because that, that that one went to um, another Pro Power compilation the day after from, the year after from Ashes.
How did you guys connect up with uh, Mike with Quimron Records to get uh, your deal? Well, um, it was like a, the, the same type of thing that, that I said about Andy LaRock. Mm-hmm. Eric was sending the album places and showing it to people to see who was interested and who wasn't. We, we had a deal with a label out of uh, Greece, mm-hmm. but when they were going to do digital promotion of it, and then when you read the contract, they were to own the, the rights right. to the song. And to the, so there were a couple of deals that, prints, we, right, yeah. Yeah, that we never ended up signing. And with Qumran, they just showed interest, interest in the project, but they said, but we don't want to put this album out. You put it out by yourselves, and we'll put out the next one. Oh, okay. And so knowing that you're going to have the, at least the distribution part uh, yeah. set, so that uh, kind of uh, encourages you to, to spend the money and the time into right. getting uh, Andy LaRock involved and all that. Absolutely. But it was more of a, well, we knew Lothar and Tony yeah. from their bands. And yeah, Mike, yeah. Uh, I didn't know Mike before this. Yeah. And uh, so it was... Again, uh, Eric was the one that was pushing the album. So um, they they liked what they heard. It's the type of music that they want to push to their label. They have some other bands that are... Some of them are a little bit doomier, like Spillage. Right, yeah. yeah but some of them are more like uh, European uh, power, like Inner Siege, for example. Right, yeah. So You guys um, kind of are a good mix with yeah, that. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. want to go for that melodic power right. thing. They don't want to go for the growling and, uh, right, and the extreme metal thing. Uh, right, kind of bands. the classic metal and the power metal, right. And then being local and us being local, it just made sense. It's a lot easier to kind of work through things yeah. as well. Cool. I mean, and, and also we're funding the, the whole operation ourselves, right. the, the band. They're so, just doing your distribution. Though. Yeah, pretty okay. much the distribution, and they're going to help us with uh, a promotion and a little bit of uh, regional touring and things like that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Let's cue up another track. Um, but before we do that, uh, let's talk about Fear is the One Way. Uh, Teron, give us a little bit of the backstory on this track. Fears of One Way is one of the brand new ones, and it's probably going to be our next video. And it's the second track in the album. Um, it's one of those that, that Eric sent me the demos, and, uh, and it wasn't going to make the album originally, and, but it, it had like 15 different ideas, and I really uh, dug the beginning riff. And I'm like, hey, I can do something with this. So, so we kept it. Um, the lyrics are very simple. It's about how when once you give in to fear and how people, uh, the, the man, the powers that be, convince you that things are bad for you. It's hard to look outside and take a turn and think for yourself sometimes.
since things have loosened up with the pandemic and the venues have opened back up too, you guys just kind of were right there from the get-go. And you've got your gig in pretty much every week, it seems like. Uh, a couple of times a month. Okay. Now, I mean, once they, the album comes out, yeah. Right, right. I was just looking at uh, your, your uh, roster um, thing on your Facebook site. So how have the shows been going, like getting back into this kind of world post-pandemic? Um, well, the thing is that uh, there's another world in the Chicago music scene that is called the suburbs. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, actually the suburbs, in the suburbs, there's a lot of uh, action with uh, tribute bands and the cover bands, of right? Of course, right. And, uh, and you, were in, you were in a few. Yeah, you, I'm in Made in Chicago right. and I'm in Black Angus. Black Angus is more of a city band, right? yeah. Uh, but made in Chicago is really big on the south side. And actually, there were a few venues that once things started clearing, they started doing shows. Uh, and some others uh, that it was either we start putting up shows or we shut down. So they did that. And uh, a lot okay. of the shows were getting a lot, like a lot of people. So it wasn't Good. hard to find venues to book because a lot of the venues out there were already open. Okay. You know? Right. Uh, whether they should have been open or not, that's a different thing. But they had—they already had yeah. things in their schedule, and they were willing to schedule a show right. for you. You know, yeah. Uh, things in the city are a bit different. But yeah, yeah, different. yeah, for sure. Well, we got lucky with Reggie's because yeah. because I—I—I uh, I, um, I know Robbie, the owner, through Black Angus, and I told right. him, "Hey, can you save us a date for like September?" Yeah, it, this was seven months ago, and uh, and uh, at that at the time, it looked like things were looking better so right. they, he just gave us the date we had to move it because he has i think we originally it was the 17th and now he i think he has um oh man i forgot uh, living color yeah in that night the riot fest yeah. show right the after yeah, show yeah, yeah. right right yep and then uh riot fest announced their dates on our weekend too of course. So now we're promoting our show to metalheads that don't care about Riot Fest. Yep, you have to that, drill down and find that, get, the, get those people's attention, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, yep. But yeah, I mean, and the, uh, you're putting an album out, so you have to put yourself out and you go do. out and play. Some shows, it, yeah. you know the, the local metal scene. scene. Yeah. Some shows are great, some shows are crappy. Yep. Sometimes you play in front of 50, sometimes you play in front of 10, sometimes... Uh, you play in front of well, 100. I mean, and I was looking at your bill, uh, your sort of your list too. Um, I, I admire the, the you guys are just kind of trying to hit as hard as you can right now, um, you know, just to kind of throw it, kind of get yourselves out there and get the, yeah. everything back up in the mix again, create a buzz. The idea is to chill a little after December, yeah, and do some more, get out of the let's do some Wisconsin, let's do some Indiana, yeah, uh, and uh, hopefully the East Coast because Eric is from there, we have a few contacts yeah. that way. Yeah. And uh, and then we started working with the promotion company in Spain, and the idea is and to that wasn't from Eric though, no, no, that was uh, <laughs> for me. Uh, and, and I've noticed you've also been the kind of like setting up some of your PR, like just through um, Spanish radio yeah. stuff too. So that's what we've been doing some of the some okay. stuff in Spanish on our on our Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's another fan base. Yeah, exactly. Right. You have to cater to. Us. I mean, you have the if you have the means to do it. You meaning language it. is not a barrier for me. Exactly. So why not? You know, yeah. get it, get that communication going uh, on yeah. the uh, on the other side of the of the puddle, like we say in Spain. Right. El charco. Are you uh, looking at maybe doing some? Like shows in Central or South America or no, nah, not yet or anything. Not yet because we don't we don't have all those contacts. So the big move, uh, 
You go, you go where you know people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the big move should be hopefully next summer to book some shows in Spain. Hopefully grab a festival date or two nice. where we can put a little few a string of little clubs. Because there's so many of those big open air festivals yeah. in Europe too. You guys maybe will give it in. So that was yeah. part of the idea of starting working with this company in Spain was to get promotion there, get some airplay, right? Get the name out there. Because, you know, the European market still cares about metal way they more do. than the American. Absolutely. Uh, uh, as far as uh, broad pop culture, you know, there's still, yeah. uh, there's still FM radio that has specialized metal shows out there. Yep. And uh, so and the, 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 the end game of that is to go out there and play more than selling the record there. Although we have international prom- uh, worldwide uh, distribution, though. So. Cool. That's awesome that you guys have that much um, set up for yourselves. And when you can go over there, um, you know, you're able to kind of further extend your, your network and just kind of uh, keep building that fan base. Uh, let's switch gears for a little bit and um, let's uh, preview another track here on the episode. Uh, this one is called High and Hillbound. And Teron, give us a kind of a, your overview on um, how this one came together and what's it all about. From your perspective. High and Hellbound was the, the uh, song that was written and recorded the last. So it's another one of the so new it's songs. it's like a, a purely a new collaborative, yeah. Yeah. fresh lineup, everything. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what happened with that one is that I wrote it twice. I wrote a different chorus. And at the time, the chorus said... Uh, because I told him, I'm going to write you a heavy metal chorus. And it was really chanty. And uh, he said, I'm going to grab a, bump, a bumper sticker line and put it in the chorus. It's going to be awesome. And he said, live free or die trying, right? But at the time that I w- we were about to record it, that's when uh, a lot of the right-wing protesters took that line and started yeah. putting it out there. And right. I'm like, uh, we have a black dude in the band. I don't think. No, no, no. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, we don't want to be... Uh, Political. Right. If you want to guess what our points of view are, just listen to the lyrics and maybe you can figure it out. Right. Uh, but we don't want to be blatantly right. uh, put in a line that somebody will identify as this or that. Right. So I changed the chorus and I actually uh, wrote it uh, based on the documentary movie The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia that it's on Amazon, produced by the guy from Jackass, uh, Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. And it's about this family that they pretty much all they do is drugs and, uh, and, uh, and da- tap dance. It's a really big tap dancer up there in West Virginia, for real. <laughs> uh, they have Hank Third playing uh, with him and him tapping and stuff. Oh, wow. So the lyrics are based on that. Every li- line that you hear in that song is about, you know, right. crush another pill and, uh, you know. Right. What, what you see in that movie. And actually, there's a curiosity in that song. It starts with a banjo that I recorded with my phone at the House on the Rock in Wisconsin. There was an animatronic ba- banjo, oh, and I recorded it with my phone. Oh, wow. It's all screwed up. Because it's out of tune. Right. It's, uh, it, an, yeah. animatronic. But that's uh, one curiosity of that song. That's the first thing you hear. Yeah.
How did this current lineup kind of come together over the last few years? Um, was you, you just worked with people you knew in the scene here and kind of pulled them in? Because the one thing I did notice, too, was there was a lot of lineup changes for a bit. Yeah. And then you guys really seemed like you solidified in the last few years. Uh, I think, um, well, the band was created by Eric, right? Yeah. And he, uh, that's his band. And uh, when, I, when I met him the uh, first time around, like five years ago, um, I ended up leaving. And a lot of musicians that he's played with didn't stick around because he would write the music and he didn't want anybody to touch it or to cut parts or he, oh, he, was, he wasn't that flexible. I see. And he's changed his, uh, his, his approach and now people are more comfortable sticking around, I guess. Right. But for example, the drummer John, he was in the band for, for a spill for a minute and he kept in touch and he recorded uh, a track in the previous album. Uh, so it was just natural to call him. But John is in Reflexicon, which oh. used to be Iron Finger. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been in a million things. Right. Okay. So, so actually, Reflexicon uh, is playing with us at the Regis uh, yeah. show on September 18th. So. All right, this is probably a really good time just to kind of let folks know where you're going to be at in the next few months. So just to reiterate, uh, they're going to be Fierce Atmospheres is doing their album release show uh, this Saturday, the 18th. Um, they're playing with Reflexicon, On the Sun, and Sunless Sky at Reggie's. And um, the following week, they're going to be out at Davern's out in Justice. And for this lineup, they have their friends and good friends of mine, uh, Legacy Black. And it looks like there's a little piece of seven, Avenged Sevenfold Tribute Band playing with them. This is an outdoor show, 21 plus. It's also a free show. Uh, can't beat that. And then um, just uh, a few other things they have coming up. So they're going to be at the Southside Rocktoberfest, October 2nd, and out at Penny Road Pub in South Barrington, um, the 30th of October. And then they got something lined up the 6th at Livewire Lounge in Chicago. And then you can catch them out at Blue Island Brewing in beautiful Blue Island, Illinois, uh, the 13th of November. And uh, it looks like, folks, you probably, if you want to catch them, um, if these dates don't work for you, just keep following them on Facebook. They seem like they do really, really well with updating their calendar. Uh, really busy band. And um, just uh, also let folks know about the uh, release itself. Um, so Speed of Dreams is releasing this Friday, the 17th. Uh, you can check it out then. Um, it'll be uh, available everywhere and, um, and on CD and vinyl. Um, so, um, Teron, thank you so much for coming on. It was great chatting with you and, um, uh, you know, all the best of the luck with your release and your, uh, your shows this fall and, uh, we'll catch you out there, man. Oh, thank you for having me, for having us, for featuring us, uh, and also for continuing to do, uh, this, uh, not thankless, but uh, not, but it's a job that doesn't really pay you uh, for the amount of time that you put in. So uh, we, uh, we as uh, the local Chicago land band community, appreciate it. Oh, man, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. For me, it's just about uh, supporting uh, the good people in the community here on our music scene. Uh, we're trying to make some good art. Uh, that's all it's really about at the end of the day for me is the music. So... 
Um, on that note, uh, Fierce Atmospheres, Speed of Dreams on Qumran Records. You can pick up Friday. It'll be on vinyl. Uh, the good people at Smash Plastic just printed that up. Uh, there's a cool video about that, I think, on the Fierce Atmospheres page. And they also have CDs, and you'll be able to uh, pick that up via streaming everywhere as well. Um, we have one more. We're going to close out the show. As always, I wish you all well and be kind to each other. This one is called One More for the Dying off of Speed of Dreams by Fierce Atmospheres. Cheers. Sometimes crooked, sometimes straight